0: Good morning, church. Turn to Daniel chapter 5 with me this morning, if you will. Daniel chapter 5. We've had a couple of weeks away from our series, but this morning we're in part 7. Part 7 of a series we've been preaching through entitled "Unshakable." Thriving, no matter what, hits you. Anybody been hit with anything recently? Hopefully not a bus or a train or anything like that, but anybody been hit with some circumstances? We have, haven't we? Uh, I read this week somebody said when it comes time to uh, turn our clocks back, they're not going to because they can't stand one more moment of 2020, right? Right? We want to see 2021. We want to see some deliverance. We want to see some change. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Wow. Unshakable, thriving no matter what. He ch- Let's think on that for just a moment. If, um, if we're a child of God, if we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if God is our Heavenly Father, if Christ, His Son Jesus, who's sitting at His right hand, is our Savior and Lord, and if the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives in our hearts and reigns in our hearts, are we unshakable? I'm fully convinced of that answer. You all just blew me away with that. I'm just, uh, I'm overwhelmed with your encouragement today. Don't make me repeat it all. But if God is God and Jesus is your Savior and you belong to Him, are you unshakable? Amen. Amen. Now, come on, church. Don't preach me all day. Unshakable, thriving, not not just getting by, not, not just taking it one day at a time, not just making it. But if we're children of God, if we're the King's kids, We are unshakable and not only are we unshakable, we're not just getting by, we're thriving. We're thriving. Why? Because if God before us, who can be against us? 2020 can't be against us. Republicans and Democrats and Independents and Libertarians can't be against us. Coronavirus can't be against us. If we're a child of God, Death itself cannot be against us. Amen? Jesus has promised that his brothers and sisters, the king's kids, will never taste natural death in the sense of it being a hopeless death. When we die in the flesh, we just get promoted. Paul said, for me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means I'm unshakable. I'm unshakable. And I'm thriving no matter what hits me. Now, I may take a bullet. It it may shake me. It may rattle me. I may have to back up and catch my breath. But I'm going on with my Jesus just the same. Just the same. If you will, take out your listening guides. Hopefully when you come in this morning, you got one of these bright yellow bulletins. If you didn't get one of these, slip your hand up, and Marvin will bring one to you. I want you to... uh, Follow along this morning and and take notes i'm I'm not here to uh I'm not here to hear myself talk i'm not here for you to hear me talk i'm I'm here this morning to deliver to you what thus says the word of god I'm here to give you a, a gospel message from god's word and it's not coming from me i'm just an instrument of god uh i i, I couldn't i couldn't put it together, I couldn't deliver it, I couldn't do anything with it apart from the help of God. But I want you to take notes and listen carefully, fill in the blanks as we go along, because I promise you God's Word will bless you every time you come to it. It'll bless you every time you come to it, it'll grow you, it'll help you. Again, we're in part seven of a series of the ten great tests of life. Life will test you. Life will test you when you're ready. Life will test you when you're not ready. Life will test you when you're uh, prepared. Life will test you when you're not prepared. But God's people should be prepared for whatever comes their way because God has written us a book. God has written us a letter, and He tells us to hear it. He tells us to read it. He tells us to study it. He tells us to memorize it. He tells us to meditate upon it, and above all that, he teaches us to apply it to our lives. Apply it to our lives. So we've been looking at the life of Daniel. Daniel lived somewhere about twenty five hundred years ago. At age fifteen, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Bolog- B- Babylon the Babylonia the, the, the Babylonian Empire the Babylonian Empire. You can tell I hadn't eat breakfast, didn't you? Uh, I'm hungry. Good baloney sandwich, you do me good right now. Anyway, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire, he invades Israel. He conquers them. And he takes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and about 25% of Israel's inhabitants. He captures them and takes them back to the Babylonian Empire. Well, while Daniel is there. Uh, he passes every test. He, he takes whatever they throw at him, and in the power of God, he overcomes it, and his faith grows, and his endurance grows. And at the age of 85, cause of these tests, these tests that has come against him, and because of his faithfulness to God, and because he never gave up, because he never surrendered, he kept operating in the power of Almighty God, at age 85, He is second in command of the entire Babylonian Empire. That's a testimony of faith, right there. You're taken as a prisoner of war at age 15, and at age 85, you're second only to the king. That's being faithful. Let's pick up here in Daniel chapter 5. King Nebuchadnezzar has died. And his grandson, Belshazzar, has succeeded him as king of the empire. Nebuchadnezzar had ruled and reigned for 45 years. Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, he's a terrible leader. He is an awful, awful king. He's a terrible leader. First of all, he's a spoiled royal brat. That's what he is. He's a party boy. That's what he is. He's a party boy. His favorite pastime is to drink and party with all of his friends. And because of this, seeking his weaknesses, his two biggest enemies, the Medes and the Persians, They joined forces. And Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great came together and they have besieged the city of Babylonia. Belshazzar's not worried. He's not even concerned about that. Why? Because he's arrogant. He's prideful he's young he believes like many of us did in our teenage years and early twenties we were invincible weren't we so we thought few of us made it didn't we so instead of showing concern about the Medes and the Persians about to attack his empire and possibly take it away from him he has a brilliant idea being surrounded by the enemy Guess what he does? He throws a party. He throws a party at the palace and he invites a thousand of his partying friends to come over and party with him in the palace. Belshazzar says as they arrive, Hey guys, I remember them talking about my grandfather back in the day when he invaded Israel. He stole the temple utensils, silver and gold goblets and all sorts of things. And if I remember the story right, he stored those things away. Why don't we go get those things out of storage? and We'll pour our wine and our liquor into those goblets and we'll drink toast to our pagan god. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea on a lot of different fronts. But number one, it's a terrible idea because it's sacrilegious. It's taken something that is meant to bring glory and honor to God, and now they're going to use it to actually mock God. Let's pick up in Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and they all got drunk. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. He thought it would be fun. He thought it would be fun to drink using these goblets intended for the worship of God. So they did. They used the cups, laughing and making toast to all the pagan gods and idols. Now what's about to happen is not the wine speaking, it's not the alcohol speaking. It's not some it's not some weird dream they're about to have. It's reality. Suddenly. The fingers of a human hand appeared in the royal banquet hall and began to supernaturally write on the plaster walls of the royal palace. The king and all his guests watched this hand as it wrote. And what we're talking about this morning is, should we not be learning lessons from those that came before us. It's okay to make mistakes, isn't it? We're all going to make mistakes, but I'm convinced this morning that we have everything we need to protect ourselves from making foolish mistakes if we'll just learn from those that came before us and avoid those same mistakes. Does that have any wisdom to it? Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, he knows all about his grandfather. He knows the mistakes he made. He knows the times that dishonored God of Israel. He's heard the stories of when his grandfather built a, a towering statue and commanded that everybody worship the statue of himself. He remembers hearing talk about the fiery furnace when in his anger he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the flaming fire and it was so hot that the very soldiers that threw them in were consumed by the fire. He remembered hearing the stories of how that they threw three men in the fire but as his grandfather looked in he saw four loosed and walking around in one looked like the Son of God. He's heard tales and tales and tales and stories and stories and stories, but he refuses to listen to the past. He refuses to learn from those that came before him. Do you, do you think the United States of America could learn some lessons from our past? Do you think the church could learn some lessons from our past. Do you think every once in a while we act out like King Belshazzar, though, and kind of get full of ourselves? Sometimes we get a little too big for our britches. Sometimes we think we know better than anybody else and in our own self-righteous pride and arrogance we make terrible mistakes that we ought not to be making because we have history to follow. So there's a thousand guests looking at this handwriting. A thousand guests. And nobody can read it. Nobody can understand it. So guess what they do? They call for Daniel. They call for Daniel. By this point, Daniel's life has developed a reputation. He's the smartest guy in the kingdom. There's a track record that Daniel has the answers. Daniel can interpret problems. Daniel can give wisdom. So they call Daniel and he comes and he reads and translates the handwriting on the wall. You see this in verse 25. He said, this is the message of the handwriting on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, arzen. Now nobody understood, none of the thousand guests, neither the king nor the queen or nobody else there could read or understand what had been written because it was written in Aramaic and just some Bible trivia here, this is the only portion of the Old Testament written in Aramaic. The entire Old Testament's written in... Don't be scared, go ahead and say it. Hebrew, written in the Hebrew language. So Daniel says, okay, king, mene, has a meaning, it's Aramaic. He says that it's... Represents the word numbered. And king, here's what it means. It means your days as king are numbered. Mine, mine. Your days are numbered. Hekel means weighed. King, you have been weighed on God's scales, and guess what? You don't measure up. You don't measure up. And parson means divided. Your kingdom is going to be divided tonight between the Medes and the Persians. And by the way, you're going to die. Wow. At this point, Belshazzar has only been reigning for two years. For two years. His grandfather reigned for 45 years it's what happens when you don't pay attention to the past. It's what, it, it's what happens when you refuse to learn from those that come before you. Here's what I want us to focus on today. Why did they call Daniel when they didn't know where else to turn? You know what we need today? We need some Daniels. We need some Daniels. We We need some foes who are absolutely, teetotally sold out to the kingdom of God. We need some men like Michelle and Shannon met in Jamestown who are not ashamed and not afraid to walk the streets and approach people and ask them in a very loving, kind, compassionate way. Hey, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? We need some Daniels. We need men and women, boys and girls who have sold out to the kingdom of God. Their eyes are not on the things of this world. Their their eyes are not on the things we talked about a couple of weeks ago when Chelsea and I sat here on the stage and talked about anxiety. Their hearts and minds are not focused on big houses and expensive cars and expensive clothing and lots and lots of food and they're not settled on the things of this world their eyes are on the prize their eyes is on the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven they're sold out to the mission of the church go make disciples baptize them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teach them don't, don't just have a Bible lesson. Don't just get in a classroom and talk about it. But But by the way you live, by the way everyone sees you living, teach them to observe everything I have suggested that you follow. Nobody caught that, did they? Suggested. Jesus said, I suggest you go make disciples of all nations. I suggest you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And and, and if you can, I know that's a lot, Jesus said. You know, that's a lot, just that going part. That's going to take away from everything else you want to do in life. if If you catch time in your busy, busy schedule of chasing the American dream, maybe maybe baptize a few of them, if you get time. I mean, Jesus doesn't want to impose in your life, in your schedule, in, in your agenda for life. Jesus, Jesus never came to impose. He, he just came to make suggestions. Now, now, don't argue with me because can you prove it with your life? Can you prove it? If you was if you were drugged into the Lord's court this morning, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a child of God? Well, I prayed a prayer. Does that count for something? No, not really. I, I go to church when you know when I can. When it's raining, there's nothing else to do. I go when I can. I, I participate a little bit. But I've been hurt before at church and I've done told myself I'm not I'm not gonna get in there like I'm not gonna get in there like that again. I'm not I'm just not gonna be hurt again. It's easy to say this is what I believe. But you practice what you believe and you say what you think sounds good in a crowd of people. Good place for an amen. No, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And teach them all things that I have commanded you. We're going to face him one day. We're going to come face to face with him one day. And we're going to answer. We're going to answer. As I said, Daniel had developed this reputation of being the go-to guy because he's the wisest man in the empire Daniel knows what he knows, he believes what he believes, and he lives what he believes. Daniel has learned and listened to his past. He knows that God has been using him for 70 years, even being held captive as a prisoner of war, God has proven himself again and again and again and again to be faithful. Daniel knew every time he spoke up, he spoke up with the danger of knowing it could be the last time he ever spoke up because he's in a foreign land and it could very well cost him his life. Not just his livelihood, it could cost him his life. He was there when they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. And he watched God deliver them. In fact, let's go back to verse 12. That ain't verse 12. We have verse 12 in there. Here's verse 12. Here's what the queen says about Daniel. This man, Daniel. He has a sharp mind, and he is filled with knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams. He can explain the meaning of mysteries and solve difficult problems. She said, call for Daniel, and he'll tell you what this means. We we need some Daniels. We need some Daniels. So they put the call out for Daniel to come, and when he gets to the banquet hall, here's what the king says about Daniel. I have heard that the Spirit of God is in you. I've heard that the Spirit of God is in you, that you possess brilliant knowledge and extraordinary wisdom. Is that not an incredible reputation? I want you to notice three things. The king says you've got God's Spirit in you. You're brilliant in your knowledge. And you're extraordinary in wisdom. Wouldn't you like for people to say that about you? Huh? You know, you ever stop and think along the way, when people hear the name Steve Looper, what comes to mind? The same with you. When people hear your name, what's the first thought that passed through their minds? Is it they are full of the Spirit of God? They have abundant knowledge. and They have extraordinary wisdom. Is that what people think about when they hear your name? So how do we become like Daniel? How do we become like Daniel? Did you know that wisdom is a choice? Wisdom is a choice. You can choose to become wise through wisdom. Studying through learning, through praying, by asking God, who gives wisdom. Wisdom is a choice. We can spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about this test that Daniel has found himself facing. But here's what I want to, here's what I want to do. I want to share Proverbs 4.13 with you. Listen closely to Proverbs 4.13. Always remember what you have learned. Your education is your life, so guard it well. Are you learning from those who came before you? Let's take a few minutes and let's look at what God says are the five ways to become wise in life. Number one, number one, make a commitment today to never stop learning. Never stop I've talked to people before, uh, being a pastor for now for about 26 years, trying to encourage people to get into the Word of God. And and, and many, many times have a conversation with people and say, Pastor, I'm not going to participate in this Bible reading plan uh, this year. Why not? I've already read it. Okay. So what you're telling me is you're the sharpest person on the planet. You've read it through once and you've already wise enough to know everything it says. I'm not like that, are you? I I don't know how many times I've read the book. And every time I read it, I find brand new stuff. Why? Because it's living, it's breathing, it's it's God himself recorded on the pages of the book. Commit yourself to instruction. What's the best instruction we can receive? Word of God. Word of God. Commit yourself to instruction and tune in your ears to hear words of knowledge. Education. Education doesn't end when you graduate. Education shouldn't end when, when, you, when you leave the schoolhouse. Learning is not a stage of life. See, public education doesn't save this, but... If we allow it to, here in America, we think, well, I graduated, so I'm done learning. That's a fatal mistake, isn't it? We should always be open to learning. Learning is a wise lifestyle. Did you know that God wants you to learn something about life every single day that you live? God wants you to grow. God says, commit yourself to instruction. Make a commitment to never stop learning. What? In practical matters, let me ask you this: What new skill are you working on right now that you didn't have last year? Properly wearing a mask, washing your hands, using hand sanitizer—skills we never thought we'd need in 2019, right? How to live at home for extended periods of time without going out? How's that for a new skill? What new skill are you going to work on next year that you don't have today? We should be ever learning and ever growing. Ever learning and ever growing. Do you have any plans of being any different going forward than you are today? Are you going to be stronger? Are you going to know more? Are you going to be wiser than you are right now? Here's what Daniel knew. Daniel knew that lifelong learning is the key to being a great leader. That's what Daniel knew. Daniel knew that to be a great leader, he had to be a great learner. Here's what someone told me years and years and years ago as a young pastor in my late 20s. Here's what they told me. You can never take the people you're leading any further than you are yourself. Right? It's a fact, isn't it? You don't have to be a pastor to practice that principle. As a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a grandparent, as an individual, we've been called to take people with us to heaven. Why should I never stop learning? Because it's in your best interest. Look at Ecclesiastes 10.10. If an ax... Is dull and its edge is unsharpened. More strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have ever swung an axe, but a dull axe is a bad axe. It's still an axe, it'll still cut. But as the Bible says here, it'll take twice as much strength to use that axe. But if your axe is sharp, and here's what Ecclesiastes is saying, if you're sharp, if you're exercising your skills, it's going to take half as much effort to accomplish what you're attempting to accomplish. This is where where we get the phrase, work smarter, not harder. Let me just say this. You're never wasting time when you pause to sharpen your axe. And you're never wasting your time when you stop in life in order to learn. When you come to church faithfully, when you're attending church, every time the doors are open, When you're attending Bible studies, when you're attending prayer meetings, here's what you're doing. You're sharpening your axe. I can do that at home. You can. I agree, you can. But not as well. Not as well. See what happens. When when you don't assemble as the Bible teaches us to assemble, here's what happens. You become isolated. You become isolated, and Satan starts working on you because you don't have... You're not surrounded by other brothers and sisters who's going to support you and encourage you. Am I right or am I right? That's what Satan loves to do. Satan, Satan loves to pull you off into isolation. You think you're strong. That's because you fail to learn the lesson of those who wander away and grow cold and isolated. What happens to them? The wolf sneaks in and eats you alive. Here's the second key that the Bible tells us in order to be wise. Number two, learn the lessons of prior generations. Learn the lessons of prior generations. This was a fatal mistake. Say fatal. This was a fatal mistake that King Belshazzar. He didn't learn the lessons of the prior generations. He had every opportunity to learn the life lessons that would have prevented his kingdom from being snatched away from him. His grandfather had made lots and lots of mistakes, as I said a moment ago, but Belshazzar made a decision. He chose not to learn from those mistakes, and as a result he lost everything, including his life. Including his life. This concept is something that God commands us to do. Let me give an example from the ancient book of Job. Ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned, for we were born only yesterday, and we know so little. Church, let me encourage you to be humble. And on a day-to-day basis, repeat the words of Job. God, I know so little, but I long to know so much. God, teach me. God, lead me. The New Testament is full of teachings, especially from the Apostle Paul. He writes letters and he says, You know, it breaks my heart that I'm still having to deliver to you milk. You've been saved for a long time. You should be you should be eating the meat of the word, but but I can't give you meat yet because you're still little babies sucking on the bottle, drinking milk. He says, you by now you should be teaching others. You should be writing letters. You should be planting churches. You should be leading people to Christ. But you refuse to admit that you have no desire to grow and no desire to learn. Therefore, you're babes in Christ. You know, we see a lot of terrible things in the world, but one of the saddest sights on planet earth is a house full of Christians who have been saved for years and years and years and they're still spiritual babies. Demanding their way, wanting their favorite parking spot, wanting their favorite chair, demanding the temperature be set just right. Just Just my way, my way, my way. If I don't get my way, I'm going to hit the highway. You ever met anybody like that? Did you ever used to sit by somebody in church like that? Huh? You know, it'd be awful. It'd be awful to think that you could go back in Faith Factory this morning and not see any difference the way the grown-ups act versus the way the children act. So sadly, that's a picture of the modern-day church. Job said, I want you to go out and ask the former generations. Learn from them. All of us need to learn lessons from the people who came before us. But when you refuse... You refuse because you're full of pride and you're, you're full of yourself. But if you're humble, you'll learn. So, so what does that mean? If you want to become wise, you're going to need four different people in your life. If you want to grow in wisdom, you're going to have to have four people in your life. You've got to have mentors, you've got to have models, you've got to have partners, and you have to have friends. First of all, you need mentors. You you need to have some mentors in your life. You you need to have some people who have gone ahead of you and learned some lessons and they're willing to share those lessons with you, but you've got to be willing to listen to them and learn from them. The second thing you need is models. I ain't talking about a Hollywood model. I'm talking about a mature Christian believer who's walking the walk and talking the talk. I'm talking about somebody who's modeling the life of Jesus, you need those people in your life. Models are already doing what God has called you to do in your life, and you follow them. We learn much quicker by observing models, don't we? All the things you learn, you learn from other people. I learned how to walk by watching other people walk. I learned how to talk by listening to other people talk. It's how I got where I am today and we don't need to cut that off when we arrive at kindergarten. Let me say this about models. If you're going to model your life after somebody, make sure your model is already dead. Why? Because the judge and jury has already ruled how they live life. If you model your life After my life, and I tripped and fall in the ditch, we'll both fall in the ditch. Pick you a model who started out well, continued well, and ended well. Model your life after the Lord Jesus Christ. Model your life after the Apostle Paul. Model your life after Timothy. Model your life after those that proved that they knew what they were talking about. We need mentors. We need models. But you need partners. You need true partners. Somebody to get in the boat with you and row the same direction. You ever been in a boat with somebody and you're rowing one way and they're rowing the other? Man, I've seen that in church a million times. You, you might be the pastor or one of the pastors and you're rowing forward and you've got six people rowing backwards. you got somebody augering a hole in the bottom of the boat. You got somebody else adjusting the sail to go the opposite direction, whatever else wants to go. Can I get an amen? You need to surround yourself with partners who will partner with you in mission, in vision, and help you accomplish the things that God has called you to accomplish. Amen? And then you need friends. Friends are not models, they're not mentors, they're not partners. Friends are people who love you no matter what. Friends are the people that are walking in your door when everybody else is walking out your door. A true friend is somebody that will stand beside you no matter what. You need some friends like that. You need some friends like that. We all need to learn lessons from prior generations. Number three. Man, this is so important. Maintain a humble attitude that honors God. Maintain a humble attitude that honors God. We're learning the lessons today that King Belshazzar didn't learn. We want to avoid the same mistakes he made. Humility and teachability, if that is a word, humility and teachability go hand in hand, don't they? They go together. In order to learn, you have to open your mind up. If you know it all, you're not going to learn anything. Can I get an amen? Be humble or you'll stumble. How's that? Be humble or you're going to stumble. The more humble you are, the less you stumble. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before the fall. That's the Bible. Here's what humility begins by. Humility begins by simply realizing you're not God. Y'all have seen some of the looks on some people's faces right there. When I said that, there was shock come across some faces. He told me I wasn't God. He doesn't know me very well, do he? The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a Holy Spirit goes before a fall. Proverbs, the book of wisdom, chapter 15, verse 33. Reverence for the Lord is an education in and of itself. Reverence, the fear of God, is the beginning of all wisdom. Reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. But you must be humble... Before you can ever receive honors. Here's what I promise you the more you get to know God and the more you get to know His Word, the Bible, the more you get to know God and the more you get to know His Word, you're going to become a much wiser individual. Wisdom comes from God, you'll be wiser in your relationships. You'll be wiser in the way you manage your money. You'll be wiser in handling conflict. You'll be wiser in diffusing problems and on and on and on and on. You'll be wiser in so many different areas. Why? Because you're not leaning upon your own understanding. You're leaning upon the wisdom of Almighty God. You talk about learning lessons from, from somebody that's always known what is right and true and perfect... What about Almighty God? Learn lessons from God. Learn lessons from the Holy Spirit. Job chapter, uh, James James chapter 4 in verse 6, the last part of that says, God opposes proud. Say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. God opposes crowd. Now, a while ago, and I first got up here and get a little energized and got a little excited, and I said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, that's a wonderful verse, isn't it? If God is for me, who can be against me? But how does that interact with this verse? God opposes the pride. See, if you're a prideful person, God is not for you. Am I right? If you're a person full of pride and full of yourself, God is not for you. God is against you. That's what it says. God God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. If you're humble, God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? See, sometimes you're flying through life all full of yourself and all prideful. God, where are you? God says, well, when you humble yourself, I'll be right there. In the meantime, fly solo. Learn some lessons. The only way you learn lessons, sometimes let people fall flat on their faces. And sometimes they still refuse to learn. Why does God oppose the proud? Because they're unteachable. They're unteachable. They think they know it all. They either can't or refuse to learn. Humility, here's what humility says. Humility says, I can learn from anybody. Now let that sink in. I can learn from anybody. Oh, but I have a doctorate degree. Yeah, and you're going to drown next time it rains. Oh, but I'm a wealthy person. Did you know it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle? Oh, but I live on the right side of the tracks. Yeah. You're probably going to get run over by the train. Shall I go on or did you get the point? People who think that they can't learn from people that don't look like them, live like them, have as much money as they have, or have as much education as they have, or come from the wrong side of the tracks. People like that. They're not humble. They're prideful. And here's the warning, church. Listen, I, I was watching a video that, that Clayton and Diane sent me this week of revival service over at Second Free Will uh, this week. Brother Mike McCoy, a man I love dearly, was over there preaching. When he first got to preach, he reached in his pockets, and I can't, I got too much stuff in my pocket. But he pulled out both pockets. He said, listen, folks, I ain't got no no rocks in my pockets tonight. I'm not here to throw rocks at nobody. And I'm telling you, I'm not throwing rocks this morning. I love you, and I want us to grow. I believe God is at work here at Hope in Christ Fellowship. I truly do. I believe he's at work. But if he's going to continue to work and work more and work in greater ways, we're going to have to humble ourselves before him. And we're gonna have to we're gonna have to learn how to learn. Number four. Thank you for that amen, Brother Boone. Ain't nobody else going, to amen. Boone's got my back. Don't you, brother? That's right. Number four. This is a biggin, church. This is a biggin'. Refuse to fill my mind with garbage. Do you know where you find the concepts, the words, the thoughts that are most harmful to your life? From the media. From the media. Which source? All of them. All of them. Television. Movies, Internet, books, magazines, your smartphone, garbage. Right here, this book that I'm holding in my hand is superfood. This has the answers. It doesn't lean to the left. It doesn't lean to the right. It's truth. It's truth. It's forever been truth. It is truth. And it will forever be truth. The Bible says of itself, when all other creation is done away with, the Bible will still stand. The Word of God. The Bible can teach you stuff that you cannot get anywhere else to teach you how to relate to life. The Word of God. The Word of God. Every mistake that has ever been made is recorded in this book. Did you know that? We can learn from those lessons. It answers the fundamental questions of life. I've never seen a generation like the younger generation of today. Now listen, they get a bad rap. But it's not all their fault because we gave birth to them, and we raised them. And I'm afraid we didn't equip them very well. I was talking to Pastor Darrell about that this morning. We were so concerned with giving them everything they wanted, and, and, and we equipped them to be cool and to fit in. But we didn't equip them with what matters most. And I'll tell you why they're doing what they're doing. They're looking for answers. They really are. They're looking for answers, and this is the answer. Here's what you find in God's Word. Listen to me closely. Here's what you learn in God's Word. Who am I? Who am I? God's Word tells you who you are. Where am I? God's Word tells you where you are. Where am I going? God's Word tells you where you're going. Does my life count? Guys, you know it. I don't want to get off into political matters and such. But the streets of many major cities today has been filled for months and months and months with young people trying to find out, does my life really matter? And the Bible says it matters. But how many people had that conversation with these young people? Yeah, your life matters. It matters to God because you're His creation and, and He loves you and He's one way to prepare a place for you for all of eternity. And he wants you to surrender your entire life to him so that he can love you and care for you and provide for you and tell you who you are and tell you where you came from and tell you where you're going. Yeah, your life has much purpose. And you can join forces with God and really live out a kingdom-minded purpose of on your way to glory, gathering in as many people as you can and taking them with you. That's the Bible. That's the Bible, but it's hard to pour that into a mind that's full already. I was at the gas station the other day, and I was talking to somebody there as I was pumping gas, and I was topping it off. There's a big sign there that says, Do not top off your tank. I was topping it off. I topped it off and topped it off. I got to smelling gas, and I was talking. I looked over, and there's a big puddle of gasoline right there. Why, why was that? Why was that gas running out of my tank onto the ground? I was it full? My tank was saying, "Hey you, I'm full. I can't hold no more." Right? What are you so full of that you can't take in no more? may I offer you the word garbage? Some people say, I just just really don't have much interest or appetite for the Word of God because you're full of junk. Because you're full of junk. When you can watch hours and hours and hours of television every night, you're not going to be interested in reading the Bible. Because you're full of junk. You're filling it up on social media. Say amen. I said this before and I'll say it again today. Everybody in this room needs less Facebook and more face in the book. Huh? Facebook ain't making you any smarter. No, it's it's causing you to release stress hormones into your body. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have a stroke. You're going to die because of social media. So you need to get off Facebook and get your face in the book. This will make you smarter. This will make you wise. This, This will remove stress from your life. This will release endorphins in your brain and make you feel good. But how many is going to listen to the preacher today? One. Wonderful, wonderful. Brenda, here's what we're going to do. Since you're the only one listening, next Sunday we're having church at your house, and these people can watch on Facebook. Right? Right? The fifth thing, aren't you glad there's just five this morning? Number five, this is what I was talking about a little earlier. Put into practice what I've already learned. We teach this in Hope 200. We'll complete our Hope 200 class today, this afternoon. We've had some extensions, but we've been reading through the Bible in 30 days, and God's given us 40 or 50, hasn't he? So we've had more time to read through the New Testament. Well, we'll finish up that class. And the first thing we teach in Hope 200 is how to get a grasp on your Bible. How to get a grasp on your Bible. Because this is what's going to carry you through life. And and you better have a good grasp on it. And we teach that you need all five fingers grasping that. You need it firmly planted in the palm of your hand. You get a grasp on it. Now, I could ask Chris right now to come up. Chris tried to take that from my hand. And if i got a good grasp on it, I'm going to hang on to it. But if I start peeling away the pressure, guess what's going to happen? The enemy, and you're not the enemy. I'm not saying you're the enemy. I'm just saying it's so much easier for the world or the enemy to come up and snatch that away, right? And that's his job, is to snatch the Word of God out of us. But we talk about hearing We talk about reading, we talk about studying, we talk about memorizing and meditating and applying the Word of God to our lives. See, you can know everything that book says, but if you don't put it into practice, it's useless. It's useless. Listen, God doesn't teach you the second thing about life until you start acting on the first part about life that He's already given you. God, I want more. God, I want more. God, I want to grow. I want to grow. God says, when you do number one, I'll give you some number two. God is not in the business of satisfying your curiosity. He gives you one thing, and he waits on you to act on it, and when you act on that, then he'll give you more. You have to apply the truth. You have to act upon what God has already given you. You have to internalize and practice what you've learned. I want you to write this down in your outline. Now, folks, this will preach seven days a week, 365 days a year, holidays included. This will preach. I haven't learned it until I do it. You haven't truly learned anything until you're doing it, until you're practicing it. If I were to ask you right now, do you believe the Bible? You would say, sure, I I believe the Bible. Do you do it, all of it? No. Then you don't believe it. That makes sense. I've been awful plain this morning. I've been awfully blunt this morning. But I had a deacon tell me a long time ago when I was first beginning to teach. He said, "Hey, Steve, let me give you a little something. Plain talk's easy understood." I appreciate plain talk, don't you? I hate to have a conversation with somebody and walk away, and all the way home try to figure out what did they say. Right. You ever been in one of those conversations? You're just like that took like 20 minutes, and I ain't got a clue what was just said. I love plain talk. You only believe the things you do in life. Let me, change that up. We're going to say it together, and I'm going to move on. Here's what we're going to do on the count of three. We're going to say, "I only do what I believe." In life. One, two, three. I only believe what I do in life. I haven't learned it until I do it. If you're not practicing it, you really don't believe it. Is that not correct? What you do is what you believe. Belshazzar loses everything because he failed to do this last point. Lost his kingdom, lost his life after two years on the throne because he didn't put into practice what he knew. He had learned a lot of things in life, but he wasn't practicing them. You know what he was practicing? What he believed. He believed that partying and drinking and living the high life was the way to live life because that's what he was living, right? This guy is the grandson of the most famous king, the most powerful man on the planet in that day. He had saw his grandfather literally lose his mind because of his pride. He saw all the mistakes his grandfather had made. He saw his grandfather come back and correct those things. Remember time and time again, Nebuchadnezzar would come back and say, hey, everybody don't fall down and worship me. You fall down and worship the God of Daniel. You fall down and you worship the the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He mailed out letters to every person in the kingdom and said, from now on, The God we're going to call God is the God of heaven, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar learned lessons as he went. And he practiced what he learned because he not only learned it, he believed it. Belshazzar saw the good and the bad in his life, but he chose to ignore God. And it cost him his kingdom and it cost him his life. He chose to ignore the lessons. He chose to be prideful and throw parties. And God said, you know, I might understand if you didn't know all this, but Belshazzar, you knew it. You knew it. So your kingdom's going to be taken away. It's going to be divided up between the, the Medes and the Persians, and you're going to die. And Daniel was the one guy in the entire empire who had the courage to point it out. Somebody's got to take a stand and say, here's what God says. Somebody's got to be willing. Somebody's got to be courageous enough. Somebody's got to study the Word enough. Somebody's got to be full of the Spirit enough to stand up in 2020 and declare truth regardless of what it cost him, regardless of what it cost her. We need more Daniels. We need more Daniels. Verse 22, Daniel said, King King Belshazzar, even though you knew, say knew, even though you knew all that happened to your father, now in generations in the Bible, father meant ancestor. Belshazzar's a grandson. You didn't learn from his life, and you still refuse to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. Get this, folks. Here's the lesson to learn today. Here's the take-home. If I don't humbly learn from the generations before me, I will end up making the exact same mistake. I've heard this said all my life. Some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. You ever heard that? Some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Some people, some people are going to sit in church their entire life and miss heaven because they have a head knowledge of who God is, but they don't have a heart knowledge of who God is. And if you take a, tape measure and measure the difference between the brain and the heart, you'll come up with about 18 inches. I've talked to people, especially in the line of work I do outside the church here. People who are at death's door and ask them the question, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. But you still see an emptiness and a hollowness in their eyes. The best they can answer is, I've heard about him. I think he's a good good God. But do you know him? And the best answer some of them can give you is, well, I know about him. But that's not what I'm asking. Do you know him? Have you had conversations with him? Have you told him that you're sorry for your sins and that you're sorry that you're a sinner? Have you ever told him that you're sorry that you're the reason his only son was nailed to the cross? Have you ever told him you're sorry for those things? No, but I believe in him. But do you know him? Oh, I know about him. Yeah, but has he ever... Changed your life? Is there a point in time that you can look back across life and say, here was life before I knew him, and here is life now that I do know him. I was dead, but I've been made alive. Do you do you know? Oh, I know about him. Has he ever made a change in your life? Well, no. No. What do you believe in this morning? Are you believing it's a good thing to go to church, or are you believing that God has called us all to the great mission of leading a lost and dying world to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? See, we we practice what we believe, don't we? Practice what we believe. Let's stand to our feet this morning, y'all. Y'all come on this. Get a song. Can we pray together this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you because you first loved us. We know that we're not worthy of your love. We know that we're not worthy of your mercy. We know that we're not worthy of your grace. But God, you love us, and we thank you for that today. Those that may be here in person this morning and those that may be watching the Internet, I'm I'm not asking you today... Do you know about God? I'm asking, do you know God? Are you his child? Has he invaded your life and has he saved you from your sins? Has he filled you with the Holy Spirit? And has he brought radical change in your day to day life? If not, I'm afraid you may know about God, but you don't know God. With that being said, if God is dealing with your heart right now, here's what you need to do. You need to throw your hands up in total surrender all of your life. Not not just the spirit man, but your soul, your body, and your spirit. You need to totally surrender to him right now. Confess to him that you've sinned against him and that you're sorry for that. And then thank him for dying for your sins and being resurrected on the third day. And believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved right now. Those of us who are saved, are we learning from our past mistakes? Are we learning from the mistakes of those that have come before us? And are we practicing those things? God, have your way in our hearts and lives. Help us to apply this message that you've given us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.